Well, you have picked a great day to be here. And I say that because today we are launching this brand new series called Big God. And I realize that even though he's a big God, sometimes he feels really, really small. And so we're going to address how do you somehow connect with this God? How do you feel close? Because again, he sometimes feels distant and small. And, and, and that's a challenge. In the words of St. Francis of Assisi, when he met Brother Dominic on the way to Rome. Hi. It is good to be here. I do want to say I always have fun with you at Timberlake Church, and we're going to just jump right in and deal with something that, honestly, I've been wrestling with now for several months. The topic of the soul. And all of us have heard of the soul, right? Really, really big topic. We may not totally understand what it means, but we know that it's important. And we know that every single person at some level, regardless of age or demographic or income, we know that everybody is affected by the soul. Now, I don't need to tell you this because you already know it, but the soul is a really, really mysterious concept. It just feels like really abstract. And it's something that's so abstract that it probably could be shoved under the carpet and could easily be dismissed, except for Jesus put a lot of emphasis on it. In fact, on one occasion, he's talking to his followers, and he asks some very pointed questions. We read these questions in Mark chapter 8. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, those are some fascinating questions. In our culture, we use the word soul a lot, but we don't talk about it. I mean, so everybody's heard of the soul. We know, again, we know it's important. Uh, most people would believe in it. But that's about where it stops, right? For most of us, the first prayer we ever learned was, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Yeah, whoa, good night, kids, Right? It's a big deal. Matter of fact, Oprah has a weekly program that offers insights into how to live a great life. She calls it Super Soul Sunday. Kia manufactures a car. They call it the Kia Soul. Periodically, we hear stories of somebody trying to sell their soul. Right? Not long ago, a lady named Lori on eBay decided she was going to sell her soul for $2,000. She was apparently strapped for cash. And eBay won't allow her to do it. They have a no soul-selling policy. It's like they're going to stay neutral on the whole topic. And then, of course, in religious gatherings, we talk about the soul all the time. Matter of fact, years and years ago, uh, the great baseball player turned evangelist, Billy Sunday, he decided to calculate what it cost to reach a soul for Jesus. And so for hundreds of dollars, he could save a soul. Whenever we talk about a soul, it... Uh, is something that uh, would be connected to the topic of love, right? You can't talk about love without talking about the soul. When you look for somebody to marry online, you don't go to personalitymatch.com or bodymatch.com. No, you go to soulmate.com. 25 years ago, 16-year-old girl hitchhiked her way into Mexico and just saw the hopelessness in so many individuals that she was looking at. Her name was Jewel, and it led her to write her breakthrough song, Who Will Save Your Soul. And then, of course, when it comes to music, the queen of soul is Aretha Franklin. 
When someone passes away, we say, may God rest their soul. Marshawn Lynch, he's been called by many of his teammates as the heart and soul of the Seattle Seahawks. Colin Kaepernick is the soul of the 49ers. May God rest their soul. And so every culture, it doesn't matter the time period of history, doesn't matter the demographic, doesn't matter uh, what the uh, location or religious background of the people, there has been this fascination with this tiny, fragile, vulnerable part of our being called the soul. In 1901, a doctor named Duncan McDougall actually earned some fame because he decided to to measure the weight loss of someone when they passed away. So from the time that they were very, very ill and, and then the weight loss from when they passed away, and he concluded that it was 21 grams. And he said, that is what a soul weighs. And so it's a fascinating topic. And since it's referenced in almost every single part of our society and we don't know much about it, I thought we should just take some time today and answer this question. What is the soul? What is the soul? And the answer I'm going to give you is an overly simplistic answer. Uh, it's not even in your notes, but maybe you want to write it, jot it down somewhere. The soul, if you were just to just give a basic answer, it's the life center of a human being. It's, it's the life center of who you and I are. It's what runs my life and your life at any given moment. It's what takes the primary parts of our makeup and syncs them together and gets them working together in unison so that we are healthy and moving in the same direction. Okay, so the soul is what connects the three primary parts of our makeup. The first part of our makeup is the will. Every single one of us have a will. Some people refer to this as the spirit. But when God created us, he gave us a will. He gave us desires and appetites. Every single one of us have the capacity to make choices. We have the capacity to say yes to things and no to things. And as you know, our will is a very powerful force. And what we know about the will is that it's very, very good at making decisions. So if you're married, it was your will that was involved in that decision. If you recently bought a car, if you have a house, even the clothes that you're wearing, all of that was decided by your will. You have the capacity to make decisions, and our will is really, really good at deciding. What our will is not good at is overriding bad habits and overriding deeply rooted issues in our life, right? It's the reason that we can decide, I'm going to work out starting tomorrow. I'm going to start eating healthy next week. I'm going to get all week to plant. And then it comes, and it's very, very difficult because if we're honest, our willpower is very weak. And it's the reason that often I know what the right thing to do is, but I don't do it because there's just not enough strength in my willpower. A few Christmases ago, there were some parents who decided to order an iPad mini for their daughter. And when it was supposed to arrive, it wasn't there. And so parents called FedEx. FedEx assured it was delivered. And so the parents decided to look at their home video footage. And sure enough, it was delivered. But what happened was later on in the day, a UPS driver came and delivered a package. If you've never seen that video, let me walk you through what happens here, all right? What you'll see is the package there in the right-hand corner. That was delivered by FedEx earlier in the day. The UPS driver comes, rings the doorbell, goes back to his truck. And he goes to his truck, and he sits in there, and he waits for about 
two minutes, all right? We cut out some time, but two minutes go by. The UPS driver notices nobody's home. And so then he returns to take the package previously left by the FedEx driver. You'll see him walk up, grabs the package, looks at it, determines where it's coming from, probably figures out what's in the package, and he decides, all right, that's all I need, and he decides to take off with it. Now, when this video hit YouTube, it started going viral. People were like, what's happening? Because it's easy to point at somebody and say, I can't believe it. They ought to fire him. They ought... I, I think if we just pause, we don't have to point at anybody other than ourselves. Because every single one of us know the power of those two minutes. We know the tension of, I know, I know, I know, I shouldn't do that. But it's almost like I can't help it. I know it's not the right thing to do, but there's something in us. There's a drive inside of us that still feels like we've Got to go after it. It's why the writer of Proverbs gives us this piece of wisdom. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, granted, easier said than done. But the writer of Proverbs is saying, listen, you're going to go through life, and you're going to have to make lots and lots of decisions. You're going to have to decide who you're going to marry. You're going to have to decide how you do marriage. You're going to decide uh, as best you can the amount of kids that you're going to have. You're going to decide then how to parent those kids. You're going to decide what you do for career. You're going to decide how you manage your finances. You're going to decide all that stuff. And if you're not careful, you're going to gravitate toward what every other human being gravitates toward, and that's self-centered thinking. And consequently, you're going to begin to live the results of decisions that you made based on how you felt in the moment, based on what you thought would make you happy. And he's saying, listen, you have got to learn how to surrender your will to God. So God, this is what I feel like doing in my marriage. This is what I feel like doing as a parent. But ultimately, I trust you more. So give me insight into how you want me to do this. Show me in the scriptures. Open my eyes. Open my ears. Let my will be surrendered to your will. Second part of our makeup is our mind. We can joke and laugh and say, oh, that person doesn't have a mind or they're not operating on all cylinders. But the truth is we all have a mind. And from very early on, our minds are being shaped. Our values are being formed. Principles are being established in our thinking. And so the things that I feel guilty about or the things that I feel ashamed about or the things I feel even confident about or good about, all of that comes from the way I think and my values and how I process information. And our mind is great at processing information. It's great at coming up with ideas. It's great at thinking. I have a 16-year-old daughter. She's turning 17 this month, and a couple months ago, she barged into my room at about 11 o'clock at night. Now, I'm one of these guys who go to sleep at like 8.30, all right, because I love getting up at four in the morning and I just love doing it. So 11 o'clock, I barges in and is in a panic. Dad, you got to get up. You got to get up. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on? She says, I want you to go pick up my friend Miriam. I said, is, is Miriam in trouble? No, I just want her to sleep over. I said, you have a couple seconds to get out of this room. Do not ask again. The answer is no. Well, I wake up the next morning and Miriam's in my house. And so my question was, Caitlin, did you use my car to go pick up Miriam? And she said, Dad, I swear I didn't. And so I just dropped it, just assumed Miriam's mom must have brought her. Well, a couple weeks later, I get my credit card bill and discovered that Caitlin had used my credit card to set up an Uber account and then ordered an Uber for her friend. <laughs> That's using your mind. 
So our minds are, are powerful and they can be used for the good or for the bad. Romans chapter 12, very familiar set of verses. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If our minds aren't working right, our behavior isn't going to be right. And I know this sounds legalistic, and I know that Timberlake is not a church with a bunch of rules and a bunch of restrictions, but at some level, we have to be cognizant of the fact that what we allow into our brains, what we allow into our minds affects us. We've got to ask, what voices am I allowing to affect my mind? What media am I allowing to influence my thinking? Because if I'm to have a healthy mind, I have to feed it with the right things. And then the third part of our makeup is our body. All of us have a body. Yeah, exhibit A. Right? <laughs> now, my body is the one place in this universe of all created matter that I actually get to be in charge. This is so cool. It's the one place that I can take my thoughts and how I think about things and my desires and appetites and my will and kind of my cravings in life, and I can use them to dictate my actions and my behavior and get it to do something most of the time. Most of the time. Because there are times we can't control our body. I mean, it's this final week on this planet. Jesus is praying with his closest friends, and they keep falling asleep. And he keeps approaching them and saying, come on, don't fall asleep. And eventually he says this. He says, okay, I get it. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He said, your desire, it's there. I see it in you. But the body is weak. In other words, there are times when your mind will believe one thing and you'll have values that say, and your desires say the same thing, but your actions and behavior just seem to be in opposition to those things. And so really what we've got here are the three primary dimensions of our makeup, our will, our mind, and our body. The soul is what takes those three parts and gets them working in unison. The soul is what takes those three parts of our makeup and says, all right, I'm going to get them to cooperate with one another. So if we're, our mind and our body and our will is all in cooperation with one another, that's called a healthy soul. If they're in opposition with one another, if I think a certain way, but I act differently, if my desires say one thing, but then my values are in opposition to that, that would be an unhealthy soul. And every single day, our soul is in play when we're interacting with other people. Right? We don't even really think about it. It's just naturally a part of who we are. When we're interacting with people, it's like we're doing this ancient uh, dance of the hokey pokey. Right, because we're putting our whole self in. When we're interacting with people the way we think about them and feel towards them and act towards them. It's like the hokey pokey, put your whole self in. All right, just as a, as a dumb side note, does anybody know who actually wrote the hokey pokey? The guy's name was Larry LaPrize. He died back in 1996. And they actually had a little problem at his funeral because when they put his body into the casket, they put his right arm in, but his left arm came out and started shaking all, all about Worst joke ever. <laughs> I apologize to you, all right? But the soul is what brings us, uh, brings everything about us together and, and makes us into a whole person. 
It is who we are. It's how God designed us. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we read this, that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Just think about this. All throughout ancient history and through the various writings that make up our scripture, the word soul is often synonymous with a person. Which means that you and I are not just simply individuals who have a body and then there's a soul with our body. We are actually a, so we're not a body with a soul, we're actually a soul with a body. We are a soul with a body. That is how God made us. That is how God designed us. It is the deepest thing about who we are. And if we don't recognize it and acknowledge it and care for it, what's going to happen is we're going to spend our entire life trying to build this great outer world and not even realizing that our inner world is growing anemic and sick. You might remember a few years ago in Guatemala City when on one particular afternoon without warning, the ground just opened up and ended up swallowing a three-story building, all right? Just massive, uh, uh, massive sinkhole had been developed 60 feet wide and 30 feet deep. And of course, every so often in the news, we'll see a sinkhole, we'll hear a story about because they happen all the time and they occur when something underground weakens the soil and the earth above it is kind of swallowed up because it loses its support. Well, tragically, that really is a picture of our life. That if, if we're not careful, if we neglect our private and inner world, what happens over time is it's no longer able to sustain the weight and the pressure and the stress of life, and our entire life becomes a sinkhole. And that's why it's essential to have a healthy soul. And it's the reason that Jesus asked his followers those two very pointed questions that we read at the start of the talk. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul. Now, the way most of us would interpret those verses when we read them just on the surface is, well, Jesus is saying that if you are really wealthy and you're really successful and you're really famous and you've got lots of friends, but you die and go to hell, what good is it? And that's a great question, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus was really asking, his point and asking the question, he's saying, what does it matter if you gain the whole world, but your soul is not healthy? Because if your soul's not healthy, you'll never sustain satisfaction. And what he's doing is diagnosing a very real and human condition where the three primary parts of us, our mind, our will, and our body, our actions, and our behavior, are out of sync. And he's saying, listen, if, you're, if your life is out of sync, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have. It doesn't matter how much fame you, you achieve. It doesn't matter how many friends surround you. You're never going to be content. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to feel complete or purposeful or have true joy. And so it is so vitally important for you and I to care for our soul, to take care of our inner world. But the reason it's so difficult to do that is because our inner world's invisible. Nobody applauds our inner world. Nobody applauds what's going on on the inside of us. 
everybody just notices our outer world. And so it's just a part of being human that we're going to care about the outer world. We're going to go through life and we're going to achieve and we're going to accumulate and we're going to accomplish things and we're going to move forward. And all of that is great. But where does it eventually get us? I mean, right now we have more stuff in our generation than any other generation in history. We've got storage units. We've got massive homes. We just own a ton of stuff. We have more opportunities than any generation in history. We have access to more information than any other generation in history. All we have to do is just click a button and we're there on some website. We're more educated than any other generation in history. And yet, we keep asking the questions, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I pretty enough? Are my kids achieving enough? Am I doing okay? Because the sobering reality is that with all of our accomplishments and all of our achievements, somehow we become the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated group of adults in U.S. history. And that's why when it comes to my soul, what happens to me is not nearly as important as what happens in me. Now, I don't in any way want to insinuate that our outer world is not important. Okay, it is. In fact, it would be irresponsible for us to not care for or pay attention to the outer world. But what I want you to understand is that regardless of what's happening in my outer world, what's happening in my inner world is way, way, way more important. I mean, it's totally possible, and this is why it's so important, because it's totally possible for me to have this growing and big and successful outer world. And at the same time, for me to be dying and decaying and rotting away inwardly. On the other hand, it's totally possible for me to have an outer world that's completely out of control. I'm going through loss. I'm going through tragedy. There's conflict in my family. And yet I am at peace. In the midst of the storms of life and the waves that are tossing you, there's just the steadiness underneath it because I've taken care of my soul. And so again, I'm not suggesting you ignore your outer world. I'm just cautioning you to live with the awareness that the more I focus on building my outer world, the easier it's gonna be to ignore my inner world. So I just gotta live with that awareness. Am I spending too much time on my outer world that I'm ignoring my inner world? What I love about a talk like this is you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know this is true. You don't have to believe anything that's written in the Bible. You don't even have to believe that Jesus walked this planet. You could think he's a mythical figure and you know that this stuff is true because all you need to do is look around you. Just look at our world. Look at Howard Hughes and Amy Winehouse and Robin Williams. Look at you. Look at me. Every one of us can point to seasons in our life where we say, man, I was moving forward. I was building things. I thought, oh, man, this is how life is. And then it came crashing down. One of the most sobering realities of life is that you and I have been gifted by God. We've been shaped by him. He's given us spiritual gifts and passions and abilities. He's given us personalities. And those gifts and those personalities and our ability to interact with people and the opportunities that come our way have the ability to carry us farther than our character can sustain us. If we're not careful, our work ethic, our personality, our drive, 
will carry us farther than our character can sustain us. And so we've got to take care of our inner world. Now, none of us want for our life to become a sinkhole. That's the reason that we'll push and challenge and encourage each other, right? Man, make sure you're, you're, you're staying strong. Make sure you're focusing on yourself. If you're empty, you need to fulfill yourself. If you're stressed, make sure you're taking care of yourself. If you're in a job interview, hey, make sure you believe in yourself. If you're getting a tattoo, make sure you express yourself. If someone dares criticize you, hey, you have to believe in yourself. You have to love yourself. If you're not getting your own way, you got to stand up for yourself. If you're going on a date, you got to be yourself. All of that's great. But what if yourself is a train wreck? What if your heart and your soul, what if your mind and your will and your, your, your body, your actions, your behavior, what if it's just all out of sync? Then what do you do? Well, one of the disciples of Jesus, Peter, warned us that this could happen to any of us. Here, here's what he writes in one of his manuscripts. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, meaning people who are just on this planet for a little time, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Every single day, there is a battle for our souls. There's a battle going on to disconnect our, the, our, our values from our desires and ultimately from our behavior. And this war that's going on, it's not about demons coming and attacking you. Ah! Right? It's not about Papa Smurf stirring up some stew that he's going to put a curse on. That's not what it's about. The, the, the things that wage war in, against our souls, the things that mark and affect our souls are things that we don't really even think about much. Busyness. Entitlement. Nickelback music. There are things that, quite honestly, aren't all that dramatic. And so what I want to do very quickly is just wrap up our time together by talking very candidly and practically about three ways that we can take care of our soul. How do we get things working together in unison? The first of those ways is through rest. The greatest threat to your soul and my soul is not lust. It's not anger. It's not pride. It's not jealousy. It's not addiction. The greatest threat to your soul and my soul is exhaustion. Because here's the deal. When you're tired, when you're exhausted, your mind isn't thinking rationally. Right? Your, your willpower is very, very weak. Many of the biggest mistakes we've made in our life came at a time where we were just tired and we weren't thinking properly and our willpower was just exhausted. When we're tired, our actions, our behavior is just irrational. People are like, this isn't who you are. You're crabby all the time. You're irritated all the time. Right? When, when you're tired, you look at your spouse and something that used to just annoy you a little bit. You know, the way they chew gum. Right? All of a sudden, now it's this deep character flaw in their life. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. There is something about rest, and for many of us, the greatest thing we can do for our soul is get rest because rest has the ability to clear our mind. It has the ability to strengthen our willpower. Is that it has the ability to get us thinking rationally when it comes to our behavior and our actions. We now have energy, enthusiasm. Maybe the 
Only thing you need to do after hearing this talk is go home and say, okay, I'm taking one day off a week. Enough is enough. I have to rest my body. There's power in that. A second way that we can care for our soul is by being people of gratitude. See, here's the deal. If I don't express gratitude on a regular basis, here's what happens. My mind is constantly restless because I'm constantly thinking, what more can I have? What more can I have? I'm not happy. What more can I have? Right? My desires are out of control. Every time I walk into Best Buy, every time I walk into some, every time I get onto Amazon.com, it's like, ah, I got to have it. I got to have it because it's going to complete me. Right? My behavior, my action is not responsible when I'm not filled with gratitude because I'm always saying, I need more. I don't care. I'll spend more than I make. I, I don't have the reason, but I'm still going to go after it. I'm not thinking and behaving in a responsible way. But learning gratitude helps our soul. It, it puts our mind at rest finally. It rewires our brain into saying, man, God has blessed me. He's been so good to me. It for at least temporarily can satisfy our desires and say, man, I have more than I need. Right? I have more than I, than God's been so good to me. It helps us be more responsible when it comes to our actions. You, you probably remember the famous story in Luke chapter 17. It's one of the most famous ones in the Bible. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, right? You don't show up to environments like this regularly. It's a pretty famous story of where Jesus heals 10 different individuals who had leprosy. And at the end of the story, he tells them, hey, go show yourself to the priest and, and he'll verify that you're healed. And, and then one of them come back and thank him, but the other nine don't come back. And, and the big question that we're left with is, why were these people ungrateful? Well, I think if we could get Bill and Ted's time machine and go back a couple thousand years and say, why weren't you grateful? They go, what do you mean? I wasn't grateful. I'm incredibly grateful. When Jesus healed me, gave me my life back, my family back. What, what are you talking about? I'm grateful. But here's, here's the reality we all live with. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. When you do not thank and verbally show appreciation on a regular basis, you're just communicating ingratitude. But when you're grateful, it does something for your mind. It does something for your will, and it does something for your body. And then finally, uh, just a, a third idea, and we could just go on all day over these things. Third way to care for my soul is by blessing others. Right? Self-centeredness, one of the greatest dangers to all of our souls. Sometimes the greatest thing we can do for our soul is just encourage another person. Pray for them. Share some resources with them in a difficult time of their life. Maybe give them some opportunities. Maybe connect them to someone who could be a blessing to them. Maybe it's forgiving somebody who we would argue doesn't deserve forgiveness. But here's the deal. When we choose to bless other people, our life is not just about us anymore. And again, it's rewiring our brains. It, it, it's, it's with our out-of-control desires. It's actually satisfying them because when you give, all throughout Scripture, God says, you get. And it doesn't mean like, oh, you know, financially get back. No, it, there's a fulfillment. He who refreshes others is refreshed himself. Every single day, folks, on the news, in the paper, in some magazine, we read about some celebrity or some bigwig who made it to the top of the success ladder and then they came crashing down and we all ask the same question, how is that possible? Because if I had that much money, there is no way I would have done that. If I was married to her, uh-uh, never would I have done that. I don't want to left the house, right? If, if I had those opportunities, I would never have done that. 
They would have said the same thing. But if we focus too much on building our outer world, our inner world starts to decay and deteriorate. And without even knowing it, our life will become a sinkhole. And when we think it's strong, we'll realize it is really weak. So let's take care of our soul. Let's get rest. Let's be people who bless others. Let's go through life with grateful attitudes. Maybe you say, what I need to do isn't even on this list, but I know what I can do to help my mind, my will, and my desires. Let me pray for you.